get it started. Hope, our, hope everybody out there is doing being safe out there, staying staying healthy out there. Welcome back. We're back. So 131. Okay, so welcome back everybody to the Isaiah Kid Podcast. I'm your humble and gracious host, Isaiah Kid. Welcome back, welcome back, episode 131. Episode 131. We are approaching the one year anniversary of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. But uh, we got some big time news coming on. Got some big not big time news. Uh, baseball is coming back. That's big. Uh, NBA is coming back. It's already set for coming back. Got some soccer coming back. Uh, we we you know slowly slowly and surely the sports are coming back. It's been kind of hard for sports <laughs> sports you know analysts to talk about sports when there's absolutely no sports to talk about. Big. It's been. Big trouble and hard, but we continue to drop these episodes. So with Dak, with Dak, with Dak, with Dak, if you did not know, breaking news, Dak signed his franchise tag. That's worth $31.4 million. The franchise tag, if you don't know, it's a one-year, it's like a one-year deal. It's a one-year deal. Uh, it's the, the franchise tag is... It, it's, it could be a good thing or a bad thing. The price, I mean, you're probably thinking $31 million for one year. I mean, that's great. But it's more of an engagement ring. It's not, it's, you know, it's more of an engagement ring. So <laughs> Dak, and, I've, and with Dak, I've watched just about, I've watched every Cowboy game for the last four years with Dak and Zeke and, and that whole young crew that they have drafted. Let's just, if you take out, Talent. Just take out his talent. Take out all the measurables. Take out take take out you know the leadership qualities that he possesses and that he has that we often talk about. Just look at the data and some metrics. So I think quarterbacks should be judged based upon as far as when we're talking about paying quarterbacks, not like ranking quarterbacks or the you know trying to decipher what tier they're in. Or how high should they rank? Or is this quarterback a top 10 or top 5 quarterback? As far as when we're talking about paying quarterback and what should a particular quarterback get paid, we should follow these, we should follow these metrics. Regular season wins, postseason wins, production, and availability. Now, I would rank... Regular season wins at 50%. I would weigh it 50%. Postseason wins, productivity, and availability, I all three of those would be worth about a little above 15%. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Production. If you're a quarterback that have great stats and great numbers, but you're not winning football games, you're not winning, you're not winning games... I don't care about the stats. 
if you're not winning games, because that's just, that's the name of the game. Win. You gotta win. You have to win. Like a lot of people get on Jimmy Garoppolo, but I'm like, uh, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo, you you can say, yeah, he had a bad fourth quarter in the Super Bowl, he had a meltdown, but he wins games. He has a winning record. And if you're able to get to the playoffs consistently, you're gonna get paid. That's the, that's why I've been Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton, Cincinnati, got paid. He got paid because he won regular season games, and those regular season games went to, you know, led to postseason, actually, as we all know. So if you win regular season games, I think, and, you you know, you get to the playoffs, you're going to get paid as a quarterback. It's as simple as that. You're going to get paid as a quarterback in this league. Now, productivity, I mean, well, availability. If you're a quarterback that's available to play every game, but you're not winning games, what's the point? Why, why am I paying you if you're not winning games? Why, why am I paying you? So that's why I have regular season weighted at 50% and productivity, availability, and postseason wins. I, you know, you, you, you would all three of those would be ranked just above 15%. They'd be weight, I would rate, I would, you know, weight those just above 15%. Now, in the postseason, we all know the coaches are better, the quarterbacks are better, the teams are better. So, with that, like, with that situation, Jason Garrett, we all, I think most people tend to believe that Jason Garrett underperformed. With the roster that he had, he underperformed, he underachieved. And he, he just underachieved throughout his tender in Dallas. But let's get to where Dak ranks in all four of these categories. In his last four seasons, well, his first four seasons, his four seasons that he's played in the NFL, here are his ranks. He's 10th in win percentage. He's tied for 13th in playoff wins. He's 13th in production, and he's tied for first for availability. Not too bad. If you were to average all of those rankings out, he'd be in between 9.5 and 10th. He should be paid according to these metrics that I think should be out of the, you know, with these four categories. I think these, they, they mean the most. According to this, he should be between the ninth or 10th highest paid quarterback. Win percentage, 10th. Dak has won a good share of games. He's had a 13-win season. He's had a couple, you know, he has, he has a 10-6 and six season. He has a 9-7 and seven season. He has an 8-8 and season. So he wins games. He wins games. He's never finished below 500. Playoff wins, like I said, you're going against better coaches. You're going against better quarterbacks. And in Dak's situation, talent-wise, he's not as good as Russell Wilson talent-wise. He's not as good as Aaron Rodgers talent-wise. He's not as good as Carson Wentz talent-wise. Coaching, Jason Garrett, like I said, he's underperformed, he's underachieved, especially with the roster that he's had. Now, production, I can't hold like, okay, for production, for example, say if a quarterback has a really good running back. Oh, Dak does. Dak had Ezekiel Elliott. He has Zeke. 
Dak has Zeke behind him. So, with a great running back like Zeke, the team is going to run the ball more. So, I can't hold production and productivity. I can't hold productivity against Dak that much because he has he has a great running back. He has a great running back behind him and a good old line. So, of course, offense, they're going to run the ball. They're going to run the ball. They're going to run the ball a good number of times. If not, like his first season, Dallas was run very run-heavy Dak's first season. No, last year they weren't very run-heavy. Run it was uh, They were very pass-happy. But for, for, for most of Dak's tender, the Cowboys are a run-first team. So I cannot hold productivity. I can't hold that against Dak. I can't, I can't hold that against him. But according to his rank, he's, the, he's supposed to be paid like the ninth or 10th highest quarterback in the league at about $29.5 million. Now, we all know he's going to get paid more than $29.5 million. His franchise tag is worth more than $29.5 million. But according to these stats, the, this, according, to these, according to this data that we have, he should be paid $29.5 million on a yearly basis. You know what quarterback makes $29.5 million? Ryan Tannehill. And, some, and Ryan Tannehill is not a bad quarterback. Ryan Tannehill got to the AFC Championship game last year. Ryan Tannehill won. He wins games in the regular season. Ryan Tannehill, productivity, not the greatest, but he has a really good running back behind him, Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill doesn't have a special arm. Ryan Tannehill is not an elite athlete. Ryan Tannehill is not the most accurate guy. I think there's some correlation. Obviously, Dak is going to get paid more than Ryan Tannehill. He's going to get paid. He's going to get paid more than twenty nine and a half million. His franchise tag is more than that. But if you look at this player comparison, <laughs> that Dak, you know, where Dak lands as far as win percentage, productivity, playoff wins. In availability, he's close to Ryan Tannehill. But the, the, the dollar amount that Dak is asking for, that's more like Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson territory. He's closer to Ryan Tannehill than, he's, than, than closer to Patrick Mahomes in that stratosphere. He's not close to that stratosphere. He's not. He's not. I don't even think he. I, I, me, you know, you guys know. I've been talking about this Dak thing for a long time, but I don't even think Dak is close to Carson Wentz as far as a talent. Now you can say, "Oh, Dak, he's available." Carson's not. Well, Carson is. He he wins just as much. He, he hasn't won any playoff games. But he wins just as much as Dak, and his stats are better than Dak's. Availability, like a guy like a guy like Patrick Mahomes. If Patrick Mahomes, with his productivity and how and how much he has won, if Patrick Mahomes got hurt and missed two games every year, 
Like, if, if Patrick Mahomes missed two games every year, I would still pay Patrick Mahomes. I would pay him top dollar because his winning and his productivity outweighs two games, the two games that he misses every year. It outweighs that. It, it, it just does. It outweighs that. It outweighs the odds. It outweighs his, the two games that he misses on a yearly basis. Let's just say Patrick Mahomes, you know, let's just say Patrick Mahomes was injury prone and he missed two games on a yearly basis. His productivity and his winning would outweigh that and I would still pay him. So with that, I, you know, I think Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, I think that's that. I think those are fair comparisons for Dak. Need, Ryan Tannehill, Dak, or Kirk Cousins, need all three, are, they're not great athletes. They don't have strong arms. They need a, they need a good supporting cast around them. All three, for the most part, have that. I think I think that's a fair comparison for Dak, Ryan Tannehill, and Kirk Cousins. Those are fair comparisons for Dak. I think that's where Dak. I think that's where Dak lands at, Ryan Tannehill, and Kirk Cousins. <laughs> I think, and I'm not even trying to be funny. I I think this is where he lands at. I think that's a fair comparison. He's closer to those guys than Russell Wilson and Aaron Aaron, and, uh, Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson. He's closer to those guys. He's closer to Ryan Tannehill and Kirk Cousins than Ryan T- than uh, than than Kirk Cousins. I mean, than Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. He's closer to those guys than he's closer to to Kirk and Ryan Tannehill. So that's where I land with Dak. I think Dak obviously he's going to make more than twenty nine and a half million, but because his franchise tag is worth more than that. So you know, forget the twenty nine and a half million. But because that's just where he ranks as far as this data. But the player comparisons of Kirk Cousins and Ryan Tannehill, I think, are both fair. I think those are both fair comparisons. And you can win games with them. Ryan Tannehill got to the AFC Championship game. He got, he got to the Conference Championship game last year. So I'm not saying you can't win with those guys. But you would obviously need more. They need more of a supporting cast Surrounding them. We, they need more supporting cast around them. Now let's move on to Jamal Adams and that situation. Okay, so with Jamal Adams, he's a great safety. He, I mean, all-level, all-pro type player. Uh, his first three years have been just phenomenal for the Jets. As far as, as, far as for him, individually. Now, for the Jets, team success isn't great. And uh, this video, all over social media, is floating around with Jamal Adams. I think he's somewhere in Dallas. Uh, and I, I guess this is a Cowboy fan. He asked him, he, you know, are you trying to make your way to Dallas? He said, are you going to be a Cowboy? And Jamal Adams replied, yeah, I'm, try, I'm trying to be. He said, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying. He trying. And I have two things with this. First, I want to talk about the Jets' perspective about with Jamal Adams and their reluctantness not to pay Jamal Adams. And then I have another player comparison and a different sport with this Jamal Adams situation. 
But let's attack the Jets. Uh, let, let me attack my Jets point with them. You know, I how I feel about them being really reluctant to play to pay Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams, you can make the argument Jamal Adams is a top five to eight player in football. He's, I think, no, I think without a question, he's the he's he's a top ten player in this league. Without 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 a shot of a doubt, he's a top ten player in this league and the best safety in football. I think I think it's pretty safe to say he's the best safety. In football, now when the and and you know with people you know, with running backs, I get it. Running backs coming a dime a dozen, you know, if you draft them high, like a guy like Zeke, he's definitely outperformed his contract, and it was time for the Cowboys to pay him. Like he's an exceptional runner of the football, he can catch, he pass blocks, he he's just so impactful. Like the Cowboys, this is one of those situations. The Cowboys had to pay Zeke; they had to. They had to, and they drafted him high, and that's that's what they that's what they went for. They they drafted him high, and that's what I'm saying with the Jets. The Jets, you can say all day long, like the football experts can say all day long. Well, I wouldn't pay a safety, uh, I wouldn't pay a safety top dollar. Well, because they're not that valuable. Well, if the Jets draft the Jets drafted Jamal Adams at six. So they drafted him very high. The the Jets ver- drafted him very high, making it that so it it you know basically they're saying that was a position of need. That was a position that they valued with them drafting him that high. With with them drafting him that high, they valued Jamal Adams very highly. You don't draft a punter in the first round. You don't draft a kicker in the first round. No. They drafted Jamal Adams at 6. He has he's been he's been a he's been an exceptional football player since day 1. Since he's been since his rookie year, he has been an exceptional football player. And I and and I'm going to make the argument he's not a safety He's he the the, the the Jets and Jamal Adams they listed him as a safety, but Jamal Adams is a great football player. He lines up everywhere, so he's he just doesn't eat me. They have him labeled as a safety, but I would argue that his impact and what he does on the field and his stats also reflected. He's a great football. Player, not a safety, a great football player, and you can't beat that. You cannot value that. There's no undervaluing that. Okay, like with the Colts, the Colts went out a couple years ago, drafted Quentin Nelson. Uh, outside of Zach Martin, Zach Martin is a proven commodity, and Zach Martin seems to be on a, a Hall of Fame path. Uh, I think he's a he's a multi-time All-Pro. Zach Martin is definitely on his way to being a Hall of Famer guard, but Quentin Nelson in the last since since I've been watching the last ten years coming out of college, Quentin Nelson was probably the best guard in college football in the last ten years. He was probably the best guard in the last ten years coming out of college football. So. 
the and the Colts went out and drafted him really high, so they they valued him. So don't say don't please don't say the Jets don't value him because no they do value him because they drafted him really high. That is the whole purpose of you drafting. You draft players in the first round, especially when you're drafting high in the first round. When you're drafting high in the first round or in the first round period, you are hoping that these players turn out to be star-level, Pro Bowl-level players. Jamal Adams have exceeded expectations. And often in any, in any industry, in any business, often you have to make exceptions. And you make exceptions for exceptional people. Jamal Adams, like I said, he is more than a safety. You can say, oh, you wouldn't pay a safety that much money because it's kind of hard to build a safety around a defense. He is not a safety. He is labeled as a safety. He is a great football player. And like I said, in, some, in just about every business, in every, in every business, in every industry, you have to make exceptions. And you make exceptions for exceptional people. Simple as that. You make exceptions for exceptional people. And plus, let's get to the flip side of it. Let's get to the other side of it with Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams wants to win football games. The seven teams that he listed, <laughs> I automatic, when I saw the seven teams, when, when Adam Schefter reported the seven teams, because that's what I saw, when I, that's when I saw it first. That's who I saw it from, from, from first. Adam Schefter. When Schefter put out the, the, the seven to eight teams that Jamal Adams would, wouldn't mind being traded to, those list of teams, all eight of those teams, those are the top eight teams in Vegas, in, in Vegas Super Bowl odds. All those teams. All those teams that he listed are, are in Vegas top ten Super Bowl odds. So it's pretty obvious. Yeah, he wants the money. And, you know, of course he wants to get paid. Of course. And, you know, and he deserves it. But this also comes down to winning. The Jets haven't done enough winning. And look at the teams he named. Look, these are the teams he named. Eagles, Cowboys, Chiefs, Ravens, 49ers, Seahawks. He named, he named a lot of winners. Those are winning organizations. Those are organizations that have done a lot of winning in the past, I don't know, few years. Those are organizations that are set to win for the next four years. He named Cowboys, Chiefs, Ravens, 49ers, Eagles, Seahawks, and Texans. Those are, t those are, those are teams that are winning their division. Even if it's the Cowboys or Eagles winning the NFC East. But those are teams winning their division on, a, on any given year because they, have a, they either have a superstar quarterback, they got an even good coach, they have a good front office, and the Jets, I mean, I like Sam Darnold, but he's not a superstar quarterback. He's not Deshaun Watson. He's not Carson Wentz. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Lamar Jackson. Obviously, the Jets haven't won anything. The most they win is seven games. 
The Jets fans, they win seven. The Jets win seven games. The, the fans throw a parade. Nah, nah. These teams that he named are winners. He want, it's obvious. He wants to play for a winner. And you're looking at the direction and, the, and just where the NFC, where the AFC East is going. I, I, did, it, I, I did it last week. Look at what the Bills are doing. The Bills have an emerging talented quarterback with Josh Allen. Their defense is really good. Sean McDermott is a better coach than Adam Gase. And front office of the Bills, they've done a good job in the recent years. At least they're smart enough to put weapons around their young quarterback. They went out and got Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, superstar receiver. Miami Dolphins, they finished off the year pretty good last year. They finished off the year with a bang last year. Also, Brian Flores, did you see the moves that he did in the offseason? Loading up that defense, drafting Tua, drafting offensive line. And then, I mean, I don't think the Patriots are going to have a good year this year. I think the I don't think the Patriots I think the Patriots will win like six or seven games this year, but uh, are the is Bill Belichick is still a great coach. Bill Belichick is still in a is still in the division. So Joel, Jamal Adams is no slouch. He's no dummy. He sees that everybody in the division is getting better. Everybody, everybody in the division is getting better, except the Jets, it seems like. Everybody in the division is getting better. And now, this Jamal Adams thing, and you've seen a couple cases of this within the NFL, but in the NBA, in the NBA, players, this has been a recent trend where star players that play for small markets or for teams that just aren't good, i.e. Anthony Davis in New Orleans, they get out of town. They try their best to get out of town. And they and like Jamal Adams, they put out teams that they would like to go to. And similar to Jamal Adams, Anthony Davis is a great talent. Jamal Adams is a great talent. Anthony Davis, you can make the argument, and I think I'm on the right side of this argument where I'm on this side of the argument. You can make the argument that Anthony Davis is the best big man in basketball, and Jamal Adams, you can make the argument, and it's a pretty good one, that he's the best safety in football. They are both wanting out, and they are both screaming, I want to be a Laker. And Jamal Adams is screaming, I want to be a cowboy. Now, the NFL and their CBA and their owners and the executives, they make it much more difficult for players to just get up and leave than the NBA does. Because the NBA, it's a player-friendly league. The players rule. The players have a lot of power, a lot of say-so. It's much more easier and flexible to get out of a team and to get out of town in the NBA. But in the NFL, the executives, the owners, 
the CBA, they make it very difficult, or the Player Association, league office and stuff, they make it very difficult to get out of town. They make it very difficult to just pouch your way out of town. Because that's what Jalen Ramsey did. You know, Odell got out of town. Well, the Giants just traded him. But Jalen Ramsey didn't like it in Jacksonville. Wanted to play for a winner. Got to a big market. Played for the Rams. And the money is not... It's like, you know, money... And here's what, you know, the, the athletes, they get a lot of slack for this. They catch a lot of slack for it, for just wanting the money. But obviously, athletes want to get paid. But a lot of these athletes want to win. They want to play for winners. And Jamal Adams is basically saying, I want to play for a winner. And with the Jets, he's more than a football player. He's more than a football. He's, I mean, he's more than a safety. He's a great football player. He's a great football player, and he needs to be respected and so. And he needed to be paid to such. The Jets, go out and pay him. Pay him. GM, front offices, pay your guys. If they outperform their contract, and Jamal Adams sure has done so, pay him. You figure out the rest. That is why you're getting paid six and seven figures on a yearly basis. You get paid to figure out these types of things and these type of dilemmas. Pay Jamal Adams. Pay him. Okay? Pay him. Gotta pay him. You have to make exceptions for exceptional people. Simple as that. I'll be back after this quick break. It's been some, you know, the socially in society, society, it has been rough um, in the world and in the country that we live in uh, with with the health pandemic and the social pandemic that we are dealing with. We're dealing with two pandemics, basically. Um, Health pandemic, social pandemic. And with Bubba Wallace, uh, NASCAR NASCAR driver, he Bubba Wallace is the only African American NASCAR driver uh, in NASCAR. Bubba Wallace is a young and an emerging star in NASCAR. He found a noose in his garage. This is a, this is an obvious death threat. I'm glad that the FBI has caught on to this investigation. Now, you know, the investigation is in their hands because this is a death threat. Um, But it does not surprise me, it does not surprise me that such appalling events has happened or 
or has happened with within NASCAR. Because just not too long ago, NASCAR banned the Confederate flag at all its events. Now, obviously, not saying everybody that watches NASCAR is condone that behavior or condone or they uh I'm not saying that everybody that watches NASCAR, you know, with that flag, symbolizes that flag with their, you know. I'm not saying that, but there's there's a lot of fans, NASCAR fans, that stand behind that flag and what it means. And often with the Confederate flag... We all know what the Confederacy and what it stood for. It actually, I mean, if you don't know, you should know. But it stood against just it stood against uh, the American Constitution. And and the thing about this is the people that stand, the people that stand behind the meaning of the Confederate flag, are the same people that are that that are mad. Because Kaepernick kneeled doing the anthem, but you're but 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 you're the same person that stands behind the Confederate. It just doesn't make sense. Because in one in one instant you're saying, "Oh, you should be standing for the anthem," but then in another instance, you stand behind a flag that went against everything. The Constitution, the flag, you, you're standing against that. So which side of the game you on? That's the first question. Well, that's the first comment about this whole Confederate flag being banned from NASCAR. So, okay, they took the step in banning the, the Confederate flag because we all know what that symbolizes. And for those, and for those generations where this culture and this meaning has been passed down. They have now they they have now tried to change the like the 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 direct meaning of the Confederate flag. You know they they try to they try to they try to they try to change and convert the meaning to something else, which which is not going to work. It's it's not going to work. It, it and it should not. They should they they're trying to they're trying to you know they've been trying it for years. You know, generations from generations, they have now changed the meaning of the correct, of the Confederate flag. But we all know what it stands for. It, there's no coming back for it. We need to dismantle that history. That part of history, we need to dismantle it. And they have built statues and memorials of Confederate soldiers, of Confederate generals, of Confederate... Of, of, of any, anybody... That's connected within the Confederacy. They have built statues. Our country have built statues. Our states have been built memorials to memorialize these figures. But in a recent recent coming, what's been going on socially, those statues, those memorials have been taken down. The flag at NASCAR events is now banned. But, and it was great to see everybody come together 
with Bubba Wallace, and it was and I, I you know I, I gave a applaud to Bubba Wallace because in his industry he has no black counterparts. His counterparts are white. He has no black counterparts. So I want to give an applause to him in the stance he took. The stance he took, I want to give an applause to Bubba Wallace with him being the only black driver in NASCAR and, and, and everywhere he looks, there's, there's white. So I'm glad that he took that stance. I'm pleased with all of his counterparts coming to that, coming together with that act of symbolic, you know, coming together and bringing it all in and standing behind Bubba. I, I, I was pleased by it. But I'm not here to throw a celebration. I'm not here to, to throw a party because of that instance that happened at NASCAR where Bubba Wallace, white counterparts, stood with him. I'm not going to throw a party because of that. Yes, I am pleased by it. It is a step in the right direction, but I, I am not here to celebrate that. I am not, I, I am not here to celebrate that. Because I want to see what the end result be. What, what is the end result looks like for NASCAR? What does that look like? What does that look like? And I'm not a NASCAR guy. I'm not a NASCAR fan. But I do know there's a lack of diversity within NASCAR. I did know that they did have Confederate flags just about at every event. I did know Bubba Wallace was the only African-American driver in NASCAR. So I know about the lack of diversity. But what is the end result going to be from with NASCAR? Because let's, you know, yesterday with Bubba Wallace, great sign. That was a great that was a great start. But much like I did with Drew Brees, when I addressed Drew Brees and his comments and then I addressed his apology, Yes, the apology, I was pleased by it. Okay, cool, thank you. But now, you said you have some actions. You want to you wanna put, put some of these words into actions. So now I want to see them. And that's the same thing with NASCAR. I'm glad, I am glad that his white counterparts came with him and stood with him and stood by his stance. Glad by it. But what does this mean for what does this mean? What does this mean? What is the finish line going to look like? In 2004, NASCAR came up with this program, Drive for Diversity. Drive for Diversity. NASCAR came up with that program. They came up with that system in 2004. Obviously, hasn't worked, hasn't been efficient, hasn't been effective. So, we, you got to come up with ways that's going to add diversity. That program was built to include. That, that, that was their whole purpose. Inclusion. 
Well, okay. Let's do it. Let's start let's start putting pen to paper. Let's start let's start seeing some of these words become actions before I throw a party and celebrate about Bubba Wallace supporting Cass and his white counterparts coming to his stand. That's great. That is great. But let's I want to see some actions now. I, I want to see what is the finishing touch is going to be with this whole inclusion situation in NASCAR. I want to see that. I'm just saying, I want to, I want to see that. I want to see what this, what this all pans out to be. Um, like I said, great applause to, 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 to Bubba Wallace. Great thank you. A great service. And he's a young driver, and he has a lot of potential. He has a lot of potential. But what does this mean for, for NASCAR? How was NASCAR going to evolve? And NASCAR, when you, decide, when you decide what the next step is as far as furthering, you know, uh, the, you know the drive for diversity or whatever, when you're, when you're, when you're, you know, when you're trying to decide and decipher what is the next step, if that next step includes you losing 10 to 15% of your, of your fans, so be it. So be it. If your actions, if your progressive actions lead to you losing 15, 10 to 15% of your fans, so be it. Develop a new fan base. The median fan base of NASCAR is 60 years old. It's 60. So, you know, get a younger fan base. If it leads to you losing 10%, 10 to 15% of your viewers or your, or your fans, or it may be a larger portion than that. If it leads to you leading, if it leads to you losing thirty percent, develop a new fan base. Develop a new fan base. That's all you got. Develop a new fan base. And I'm sure if you put into if you put if you put progressive actions, what we just saw from Bubba Wallace yesterday and his white counterparts and the white drivers, if you start putting actions to that. I guarantee you'll get, a, you'll get a younger fan base. You will start to develop a younger fan base. But the median fan base right now in NASCAR is 60. Come on, give me a break. Give me a break. Give me a break. Um, <clears throat> we got baseball back. We got baseball, baseball, baseball back. I'll tell you why. I'm going to tell you why I'm excited about that. Uh... And it's for one glaring reason, just one glaring reason why I'm excited why for baseball. Well, two, two glaring reasons why I think baseball is needed and why I'm excited for baseball. I'm very excited.
Okay, so the MLB owners are, you know, they voted on 60 games this season, and the season's supposed to start late July. And with my problem with the MLB, and I've talked about this, I've talked about this problem, uh, also with the NBA, it's not the fact that the games are too long. I don't mind the nine innings. I actually like the nine innings. The, not, the nine innings or more, possibly. Uh, the length of the game is not a problem with me. I like it. You don't, I mean, I'm not asking for baseball to change that. I like that aspect. If you look at actually the football games are as long as, the, the football games are longer too. But football ratings haven't dipped because of that. The games are longer in football, but they're they're not they're not longer than the nine innings. But the games in football, the football games, these four court, those games be long. Those games be three or four hours long. So and the ratings have not dipped in football. The the one hundred and sixty two game regular season, that is what hurts MLB the most. That is what hurts the MLB the most. I think. Because it does not provide a sense of urgency. And now such a time, like in the 70s, that's cool. In the 80s, that's cool. In the 90s, it's okay. But as technology has evolved, and as Americans, and as just people in this world with technology, we want things quick in a hurry. And... I don't I think the slow 162 game regular season it does not promote urgency. I think that is why the NFL is so successful. It promotes a sense of urgency. In baseball, you can have and I've seen it. I've seen my own native team do it, the Washington Nationals. The Washington Nationals were bad at the beginning of the season. And the, the in the first half of the season, they were god awful. They I, I think they were deaf they were like they were several games below 500 at in the in the AL in the NL East in the NL East. I'm trying to think where where were they where were they in the standings? I think they were they they weren't they weren't in the, they weren't in first place or second place in the NLE standings. I think they were like in third or fourth place. I think the Phillies actually had a better record than the Nationals. But the Nationals, my point is the Nationals had a bad first year, first half of a season. But then the second half of the season, they turned it up. They turned they flipped the switch. So there's no urgency factor. In baseball, and the Nationals, of course, went on to win the World Series, which I'm glad that they did. But, I mean, in the NFL, if a team had one bad month, depending on what, what division they're in, their season's done. <laughs> their season's done. They're, I mean, if the Arizona Cardinals come out and have one, if they have, like, if they have a really bad September, the Cardinals' seasons is done. The Cardinals' season is done. Their playoff chances are gone, even with the expanded playoff teams, because their division's too good, and quite frankly, the NFC Conference is too good. And with baseball, there's not a there's not a sense of urgency. 
the real the, the, the urgency factor does not come on until fall. There's no urgency in baseball until fall time. But before then, there's no urgent factor. There's no urgency factor. But I also like the fact that, that baseball is coming back. I also like it because it's America's pastime. It is it helped baseball. I I know, you know, it has its flaws. It's not the NBA. Like baseball, they don't they don't you don't see baseball superstars on commercials like the NBA. The baseball doesn't it, it still generates billions of dollars. It's still a multi-billion dollar industry and company, no doubt about it. But it's just not as popular as the NBA. It's just not as popular as the NFL, especially with the younger viewership. The NBA really gravitates to the younger viewership. And I think with baseball coming back in such a time like this, baseball over the over America's past, <laughs> uh, no pun intended, they have shown up in big moments. Baseball helped America and helped citizens get through World War II. There's, I mean, that's just the lone example that I that I spilt. But there is so many examples where where baseball has helped America and its country and its citizens get through rough times. And boy, oh boy, we're going through a health crisis and a social crisis. And baseball will be needed. And I think it's really important. And I thought it was really good to see that report come up and say the the, the owners vote to a 60 a 60 game regular season because America the fans out there they need baseball and quite frankly you know not no matter how good baseball is doing how bad baseball is doing at this juncture it's going to do ratings the ratings are going to be fine the TV the TV networks are not are not specifically worried about ratings because they know people are at home people are quarantining it's going to get watched. The ratings are going to be fine. Also, with this 60-game regular season, it also gives the chance, it gives the chance for baseball's biggest star, Mike Trout, to get in the post the postseason. I mean, that's another thing. <laughs> that's another thing. I guarantee you, if baseball had, if the MLB had its Biggest superstars in the postseason every year, boy oh boy, that would add such that would be such a gravitational pull because boy, I don't know about anybody else, and I know there's a lot of people that that's out there that feel this way, but boy, have I been starving for Mike Trout to be on a big stage because he's a, such a I mean, as far as I, as long as I've been watching baseball, and it's a sport that I that I come to like and I've grown to like, but baseball. I mean, with Mike Trout, Mike Trout might be the best. He's the best player in the league right now. I'm, I'm, let me just put it like that, because I don't want to say nothing outrageous and the historians come coming for me. Mike Trout is the most talented, and he's definitely the best player. In baseball right now. 
I've been starving for him to, get in, to, to, to be on a big stage. I've been starving for him to be on a big stage. And obviously the angels, they'd be crazy not they'd be crazy to trade him or to let him walk away because he's such a phenomenal talent. But and he's such a gravitational pull. And he I'm sure the jerseys and the revenue as far as with the angels, I'm sure he brings in so much money. But boy oh boy, it, it, you could you imagine the NBA playoffs and we had it last year, but could you imagine the playoffs, the NBA playoffs going on for years and years and years without LeBron? Could you imagine the NBA playoffs going on for years and years and years without Michael Jordan? Could you imagine the NFL playoffs going on for years and years and years without Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes? What the hell? So baseball, this you know, this sixty game, the sixty game season, it certainly helps the chances of teams like the Angels that have a big time superstar and they just happen to have the best player in the league. It sure does help their, their it, it increases their chances and their opportunity to make the postseason. To make the postseason, it increases their chances. So I, I'm I'm really excited to see that. Um, I think you know baseball could be a unifier within within what's going on in the country right now. I think baseball can be a unifier um, because it is the sport has helped this country and its citizens get through really tough times. Nine Eleven, World War Two. It is the, the the sport goes back a very long time in his in its help. This country and its citizens get through tough times. Plus, we got a little bit of urgency. Not a little bit, no. Not a little bit. We got a lot of urgency with the 60-game season. Because these week, these week, these three-game weekend series, Yankees versus Red Sox, Yankees versus uh, the, the, against the Tampa Bay Rays, those those three game series are gonna be so important. Like if if, if if the first two games it's a split, and the third that third Sunday game is it, that, that third Sunday game is gonna mean so much. That that I mean I'm telling you that third Sunday game is gonna be it's gonna mean so much. So as I promise, I have my NBA <clears throat> my NBA contenders. NBA contenders, pretenders, and dark horses for the NBA title. Last week, I, I told you guys I was going to give you, for this podcast, this episode, I was going to name my NBA contenders, pretenders, and dark horses going into the NBA playoffs as we restart the NBA season. Because the restart of the NBA season is coming later next month. So we still got a month to wait for the NBA, but but I'm going to give you guys my contenders, pretenders, and dark horse teams to win the title. So let's start. Let's start right now. Um, I'm going to go team by team, team by team that I have listed. You know, this, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about the Kings, the Kings. No, they, they weren't a playoff team. 
they're not going to be a play. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. I'm not going to talk about the Kings. You guys know that the Kings are not contenders. They're not going to be a dark horse. No. That I'm not, so I'm not going to bring up teams like that. That's irrelevant. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They had no business making the playoffs anyway or being in this, like, being continued. Like, they had no, they had no business. If, if, if it was up to me, it would be 16 teams, not 22. But let's get into it. So let's start with the, let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks. I like the Milwaukee Bucks. I was actually talking to, um, I was talking to a listener of the podcast. He likes sports. You know, he's going to my, he's going to my college. He's going to American University. So I was talking to him, and he's a Bucks fan, and he was a realist. And he said, he, I, I agree with all of his points. He talked about Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe. He talked about those other role players. Um, the Bucks, they, I think this is the year. This is this is this is the year where I think this is the Bucks' best chance to get out of the Eastern Conference. Now, I I don't think the Bucks. I think whoever if they play if the Bucks play the LA teams if the Bucks run into the Lakers or Clippers in the finals, I'm gonna take one of the LA teams because I like the LA teams supporting cast a little bit more than the Bucks supporting cast. But the Bucks do have what it take to win a title. So I think the Bucks are legit contenders, but it's gonna be it's gonna be based upon is Giannis ready to take the next level as a superstar caliber player? Because we we rave about Giannis and we call Giannis the MVP, and I don't think he's the MVP. But there's so many people out there, so many media members out there that call Giannis the MVP. We rave about Giannis, and so many people out there think Giannis is the best player in basketball. I don't think so. I think LeBron is still better. But there's so many people out there that think that way and they echo those same sentiments. We need we now need to see it. We now need to see it. We do. We now need to see it because Jason Tatum has won more playoff series than Giannis. But I I, I continue to hear and I'm not I'm not trying to make the case that Tatum is better than Giannis, but it's just the fact that matter. But I hear so many people, so many media members, oh, Giannis the MVP, and Giannis is this, and Giannis is the best player in basketball. And Giannis is a, a great player, and he puts up great numbers. And he's a superstar caliber player. I just don't think he's the MVP, and I, I, don't, I just don't think he's the best player in basketball. But now is his time to prove it. Um, so I think, you know, the East is, I'm not going to say it's wide open, but there's no LeBron. There's no Durant. There's no Kawhi. Giannis is undisputedly the best player in the Eastern Conference. So he has to make it out of the Eastern Conference. Now, Chris Middleton also has to show up. Guys like Eric Bledsoe also have to show up. But as a system, as a core group, I like what the Bucs have. I like what they can do on defense with their length. They're really, they, got, they, got, they have tremendous size along with the Lakers. Both, Lake, both the Lakers and the Bucs, I think, like, I think they're probably the biggest, the two biggest teams in the league. So I think the Bucks are a serious contender. I think they're a contender, but it's time. It's time for Giannis to prove it. It's time to, It's time for Giannis to really prove it. So let's move on. Uh, the Celtics. I think the Celtics are legit contenders. The Celtics are second in the league in defense. The Celtics also have three players that average 20 points per game or more. They're the only team that have three players that average 20 
uh, Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. And they also, the Celtics have four guys that can give you 20 on any given night. Gordon Hayward is capable of scoring 20 points any given night. Tatum, Kemba, and Jalen Brown. I like what they have as a core. I also think I also think Jason Tatum was taking his his he was taking his level his play to the next level. I thought he was all I thought he was almost emerging as a superstar, and I think he's the second best player in the Eastern Conference. I know everybody loves Joel Embiid, and I love Jimmy Butler, but I think Tatum as a offense with his offensive repertoire and his length. And I think his ability and him taking his just just taking his play to the next level as far as a superstar, I think makes him the second best player in the Eastern Conference. And plus, I like Brad Stevens as a coach. I like Brad. I think he may be the best coach in the Eastern Conference. I like him as a coach. I like what they do on defense. I like the scoring options, the array of scoring options, and the guys that they that they have. That can create their own shot. Guys like Marcus Smart, they got playoff savvy. Even though Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are young, they've been in the playoffs. They've gone deep in the playoffs. I like their I like their experience. I think the Celtics are legit contenders. Uh, next, the Clippers. I think the Clippers are legit contenders. Uh, Hall of Fame coaching Doc Rivers. They got Kawhi Leonard. I think the second best player in basketball. Paul George. Uh, I think he might be the second best two-way player in basketball. He's second to his he's second to his teammate in Kawhi. I think Kawhi is the best two-way player in basketball. Uh, the Clippers are deep. They're, the Clippers are the deepest team, and I think I'm not gonna say that they have the best team, but their team. I like the clip. I like how I like the way the Clippers have put their team to, together. They are probably the best built team. They, they're probably the best built team because they got they got two two superstars, two legit all stars, two two way guys, two two way dudes that can get it done. They got a good coach in Doc Rivers. They have a good bench. They can get, they can defend the wings. Now now their interior defense not the greatest, but I think with their wing defense, with their perimeter defense. I think they can be a problem for a lot of teams. For every, for every team, I think they could be a problem. And they were practically when they had everybody healthy, they was practically unbeatable. They were practically unbeatable when they had everybody healthy. So I, I think the Clippers they're too deep. I think they're just too deep, and they're you know they're they're they're, they're really built really well. I think they're definitely contenders. Um, <clears throat> the Lakers. Obviously, the Lakers are contenders. Um, they had the best best record in the Western Conference. LeBron and AD are, of course, the two main catalysts. I think that is the best one-two punch in the NBA right now. I don't think you can name a better duo in the NBA right now that's better than LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, with the Lakers, and this and this is my problem with the Bucks. I have four guys with the Lakers that I trust. I got LeBron and AD. I, I can trust those guys in the postseason. I have Danny Green. I can trust him. He's won championships. He's played a lot of playoff games. He knows how to hit big shots. 
And a lot of people might be skeptical of him. And he's had a, a bit of an inconsistent season. But I think with his scoring, with his, with his array of scoring abilities, I think Kyle Kuzma could be that fourth guy that I that the Lakers really need. I, well, third guy, and then Danny Green. That he's going to be another scoring option that the Lakers really need for him to really show up. And I think he will. Now, I know some people might be skeptical of that when Kyle Kuzma and his inconsistent play, but throughout the season, he's dealt with some injuries. Now that they have the, the players have had a couple months off, I don't think that should be a problem. I think Kyle Kuzma will show up, and he'll help the Lakers conquer championship number 17. <clears throat> now, the Jazz. The next team is the Jazz. I think the Jazz are pretenders. The Jazz, I like their team. But without Bodon Bogdanovich, offensively, they, they, they take a step. They take a step back offensively. Offensively, they take a step back where they don't have Bobon Bogdanovich. He's a, he's a guy that averages 20. He can really stretch the floor. He's additional size. I think with the loss of Bodon Bogdanovich, I, think that, I don't think the Jazz are legit contenders. I sort of, as maybe a dark horse... But now they're pretenders. I think I think the Jazz are pretenders. I'm sorry. I like Utah, and then on on and then defensively on the perimeter, they're not good. Peri- perimeter defense not good at all. So I'm not really sold on the Utah Jazz. I think they're pretenders. Um, the Denver Nuggets, a young team. They're really deep. Jokic. I'm glad that I'm glad to see Jokic lost some weight. That's a bright. That's that's a positive. That's a positive that jo- that Jokic has lost some weight. But I think with this break, you know, young team. This is a very young team. Like the Nuggets are. I think the 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 Nuggets are amongst the youngest teams in the league. I think they have one guy. I think they have two guys that's over thirty. And I think that's Will Barton and um, Paul Millsap. Everybody else is under thirty. So this is a young team. With not a lot of playoff experience, um, I, I just don't think I just don't think Denver would have enough continuity to and enough veteran leadership to get through the postseason because that's what the postseason is all about: veterans and stars, veterans and stars. That's what the postseason is all about. I don't think the Nuggets have enough of that. I don't think the Nuggets have enough continuity. They're a young team. I think they're going to be a little slow to. To get back in the groove after taking two and three months off, I think it's going to be rough for the Nuggets to get up and play. Um, the Raptors. Now, I think the Raptors are a dark horse team. I think the Raptors are a dark horse team. Unlike the Nuggets, the Raptors have championship moxie. They have veterans. They have guys that knows what it takes to win. Also, they have Pascal Siakam. I think an emerging, well, he's he's an all-star level player. But now, you know, with Siakam, with him being the man and there's no Kawhi, this is the time to show, this is the time for him to show whether or not is he ready to be a superstar. Because now he's an all-star, he made an all-star game and he he played really good basketball. And the Raptors, really well coached, good depth, play defense, veteran leadership, but now, is Siakam ready to take the superstar level? Is he ready to take it to that level? I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm curious to see. 
But I think the Raptors are a dark horse for the NBA. To, I think they're a dark horse. Just a dark horse. I think they're a dark horse to possibly make a finals run. Not win the finals, but make a finals run. Um, the Heat. I think the Heat are pretenders. I like Jimmy Butler. I like Eric Sprostra. But they have a couple undrafted guys. Uh, the Heat were fairly inconsistent away. Like at home, they were pretty. They, they, at home, they were they were dominant at home. But doing road games where they didn't play at Miami, they they were inconsistent. I like Jimmy Butler. I like the steps that Bam Adebayo has taken in his development. But I just think they have a lot of they got they got some young guys. Iguodala is not I, I you know Iguodala. He's he's a veteran. He knows what it, he knows what it takes to win championships, obviously. But I just don't know how much he has left in the tank. I'm not so I'm not so sure how much of a spark he is. They got some young guys that they're gonna you know that he got some young guys that they're gonna depend on throughout the postseason. I don't think that's I don't I don't think that's gonna match up well. So I think that he are pretenders. Um, <clears throat> the Seventy Sixers. I think the 76ers are a dark horse. Now, you might say, well, they were bad on the road too. Yes, they were bad on the road. But I think with Joel Embiid having some time off, so that means no wear and tear on his body. Hopefully, he's not out of shape. Uh, ben Simmons, I'm, not, I, I'm still skeptical of Philadelphia because with Ben Simmons, his lack of shooting ability it, it it hurts the 76ers offense, especially in, in big moments. It hurts them because it's with, with Ben Simmons not being able to shoot, defenses play back. And it's basically five, it's four on five on offense as far as the 76ers because Ben Simmons can't shoot. And that makes him a liability in a shooter's league. So I don't know how effective offensively they are, but they have a lot of talent. Brent Brown, I think his job may be on the line. Like, if he can't get to the conference spot, maybe his job is on the line. So, I see the Sixers as a dark horse, but I'm really skeptical of them. And then lastly, the Houston Rockets. I think the Houston Rockets are contenders. I think with Harden slimming down, yes, I'm very skeptical of both Harden and Westbrook. I think... This is, you know, with the time off, this gives Harden some time off. He does, he's, I don't think he's going to be as fatigued. I think the whistle might actually go his way. Because in the postseason, that's what hurts James Harden. Hurts, James Harden, relies, he relies on getting to the free throw line a lot. With Harden, with the whistle, I think with the whistle in the postseason, he doesn't get it. But with stars being needed... With the NBA needing and wanting its stars in the in the playoffs, I think Harden has a chance to go deep in the playoffs. And I think he has a chance to get the whistle. Now, I don't like Westbrook's style of play. I don't think his style of play is championship-level basketball. But once again, Westbrook, Harden are two dynamic players. They're two great offensively. I think they have a chance... To make some noise in the playoffs. To win a round or two. So those are my contenders and pretenders for the NBA playoffs.
So that's going to wrap it up. Thank you guys for coming back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast, episode 131. Thank you guys um, for continuing to listen to this podcast. Hope everybody is staying safe out there. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Continue to stream this podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts. It means a lot. Always remember two choices, one decision. I'm out. Deuces. Peace.